chapter four of the conquest of new france by george wrong this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four louisbourg and boston for thirty years england and france now remained at peace and england had many reasons for desiring peace to continue anne the last of the stuart rulers died in seventeen fourteen the new king george i elector of hanover was a german and a german unchangeable for he was already fifty-four with little knowledge of england and none of the english and with an undying love for the dear despotic ways easily followed in a small german principality he and his successor george the second were thinking eternally of german rather than of english problems and with german interests chiefly regarded it was well that england should make a friend of france it was well too that under a new dynasty with its title disputed england should not encourage france to continue the friendly policy of louis the fourteenth towards james the deposed stuart pretender england had just made a new determined and arrogant enemy by forcing upon spain the deep humiliation of ceding gibraltar which had been taken in seventeen o four by admiral rooke with allied forces the proudest monarchy in europe was compelled to see a spot of its own sacred territory held permanently by a rival nation gibraltar spain was determined to recover its loss drove her into the arms of the enemies of england and remains to this day a grievance which on occasion spanish politicians know well how to make useful great britain was now under the direction of a leader whose policy was peace a nation is happy when a born statesman with a truly liberal mind and a genuine love of his country comes to the front in its affairs such a man was sir robert walpole he was a whig squire a plain country gentleman with enough of culture to love good pictures and the ancient classics but delighting chiefly in sports and agriculture hard drinking and politics when only twenty-seven he was already a leader among the whigs at thirty-two he was secretary for war and before he was forty he had become prime minister a post which he really created and was the first englishman to hold friendship with france marked a new phase of british policy walpole's baffled enemies said that he was bribed by france his shrewd insight kept france lukewarm in its support of the stuart rising in seventeen fifteen which he punished with great severity but it was as a master of finance that he was strongest while continental nations were wasting men and money walpole gloried in saving english lives and english gold he found new and fruitful modes of taxation but when urged to tax the colonies he preferred as he said to leave that to a bolder man it is a pity that any one was ever found bold enough to do it walpole's policy endured for a quarter of a century he abandoned it only after a bitter struggle in which he was attacked as sacrificing the national honour for the sake of peace spain was an easy mark for those who wished to arouse the warlike spirit 
she still persecuted and burned heretics a great cause of offence in protestant britain and she was rigorous in excluding foreigners from trading with her colonies to be the one exception in this policy of exclusion was the privilege enjoyed by britain when the fortunes of spain were low in seventeen thirteen she had been forced not merely to see gibraltar but also to give to the british the monopoly of supplying the spanish colonies with negro slaves and the right to send one ship a year to trade at porto bello in south america it seems a sufficiently ignoble bargain for a great nation to exact the monopoly of carrying and selling cargoes of black men and the right to send a single ship yearly to a spanish colony we can hardly imagine grave diplomats of our day haggling over such terms but the eighteenth century was not the twentieth from the treaty the british expected amazing results the south sea company was formed to carry on a vast trade with south america one ship a year could of course carry little but the ships laden with negroes could smuggle into the colonies merchandise and the one trading ship could be and was reloaded fraudulently from lighters so that its cargo was multiplied manyfold out of the belief in huge profits from this trade with its exaggerated visions of profit grew in seventeen twenty the famous south sea bubble which inaugurated a period of frantic speculation in england worthless shares in companies formed for trade in the south seas sold at a thousand per cent of their face value it is a form of madness to which human greed is ever liable walpole's financial insight condemned from the first the wild outburst and his common sense during the crisis helped to stem the tide of disaster the south sea bubble burst partly because spain stood sternly on her own rights and punished british smugglers during many years the tension between the two nations grew no doubt spanish officials were harsh tales were repeated in england of their brutalities to british sailors who fell into their hands in seventeen thirty nine the story of a certain captain jenkins that his ear had been cut off by spanish captors and thrown in his face with an insulting message to his government brought matters to a climax events in other parts of europe soon made the war general when in seventeen forty the young king of prussia frederick the second came to the throne his first act was to march an army into silesia to this province he had he said in the male line a better claim than that of the woman maria theresa who had just inherited the austrian crown frederick conquered silesia and held it in seventeen forty four he was allied with spain and france while britain allied herself with austria and thus britain and france were again at war in america both sides had long seen that the war was inevitable never had french opinion been more arrogant in asserting france's right to north america than after the treaty of utrecht at the dinner-table of the governor in quebec there was incessant talk of britain's incapacity at the sheer luck by which she had blundered into the occupation of great areas while in truth she was weak through lack of union and organization a natural antipathy it was said existed between her colonies and herself she was a monarchy while they were really independent republics 
france on the other hand had grown stronger since the last war in seventeen thirteen she had retained the island of cape breton and now she had made it a new menace to british power boston which had breathed more freely after the fall of port royal in seventeen ten soon had renewed cause for alarm in regard to its shipping on the southern coast of cape breton there was a spacious harbour with a narrow entrance easily fortified and here france began to build the fortress of louisbourg it was planned on the most approved military principles of the time through its strength the boastful talk went france should master north america the king sent out cannon undertook to build a hospital to furnish chaplains for the service of the church to help education and so on above all he sent to louisbourg soldiers reports of these wonderful things reached the english colonies and caused fears and misgivings new england believed that louisbourg reflected the pomp and wealth of versailles the fortress was in truth slow in building and never more than a rather desolate outpost of france it contained in all about four thousand people during the thirty years of the long truce it became so strong that it was without a rival on the atlantic coast the excellent harbour was a haven for the fishermen of adjacent waters and a base for french privateers who were a terror to all the near trade routes of the atlantic on the military side louisbourg seemed a success but the french failed in their effort to colonize the island of cape breton on which the fortress stood to-day this island has great iron and other industries there are coal mines near louisbourg and its harbour long deserted after the fall of the power of france has now an extensive commerce the island was indeed fabulously rich in coals and minerals to use these things however was to be the task of a new age of industry the colonist of the eighteenth century a merchant a farmer or a fur trader thought that cape breton was bleak and infertile and refused to settle there louisbourg remained a compact fortress with a good harbour free from ice during most of the year but too much haunted by fog it looked out on a much-travelled sea but it remained set in the wilderness even if louisbourg made up for the loss of port royal this did not however console france for the cession of acadia the fixed idea of those who shaped the policy of canada was to recover acadia and meanwhile to keep its french settlers loyal to france the acadians were not a promising people with whom to work in acadia or nova scotia as the english called it these backward people had slowly gathered during a hundred years and had remained remote and neglected they had cleared farms built primitive houses planted orchards and reared cattle in seventeen thirteen their number did not exceed two or three thousand but already they were showing the amazing fertility of the french race in america they were prosperous but ignorant almost none of them could read after the cession of their land to britain in seventeen thirteen they had been guaranteed by treaty the free exercise of their religion and they were catholics to a man it seems as if history need hardly mention a people so feeble and obscure circumstances however made the role of the acadians important their position was unique the treaty of utrecht gave them the right to leave acadia within a year taking with them their personal effects to this queen anne added the just privilege of selling their lands and houses neither the acadians themselves however nor their new british masters were desirous that they should leave 
the acadians were content in their old homes and the british did not wish them to help in building up the neighboring french stronghold on cape breton it thus happened that the french officials could induce few of the acadians to migrate and the english troubled them little having been resolute in acquiring nova scotia britain proceeded straightway to neglect it she brought in few settlers she kept there less than two hundred soldiers and even to these she paid so little attention that sometimes they had no uniforms the acadians prospered multiplied and quarrelled as to the boundaries of their lands they rendered no military service paid no taxes and had the country to themselves as completely as if there had been no british conquest they rarely saw a british official if they asked the british governor at annapolis to settle for them some vexed question of rights or ownership he did so and they did not even pay a fee this is not however the whole story england's neglect of the colony was france's opportunity perhaps the french court did not follow closely what was going on in acadia the successive french governors of canada at quebec were however alert and their policy was to incite the abenaki indians on the new england frontier to harass the english settlements and to keep the acadians an active factor in the support of french plans the nature of french intrigue is best seen in the career of sebastian Rall. he was a highly educated jesuit priest it was long a tradition among the jesuits to send some of their best men as missionaries among the indians Rall spent nearly the whole of his life with the abenakis at the mission station of norwich walk on the kennebec river he knew the language and the customs of the indians attended their councils and dominated them by his influence he was a model missionary earnest and scholarly but the jesuit of that age was prone to be half spiritual zealot half political intriguer there is no doubt that the indians had a genuine fear that the english with danger from france apparently removed by the treaty of utrecht would press claims to lands about the kennebec river in what is now the state of maine and that they would ignore the claims of the indians and drive them out the governor at quebec helped to arouse the savages against the arrogant intruders english border ruffians stirred the indians by their drunken outrages and gave them real cause for anger the savages knew only one way of expressing political unrest they began murdering women and children in raids on lonely log cabins on the frontier the inevitable result was that in seventeen twenty one massachusetts began a war on them which dragged on for years Raoul, inspired from quebec was believed to control the indians and indeed boasted that he did so at last the english struck at the heart of the trouble in seventeen twenty four some two hundred determined men made a silent advance through the forest to the mission village of norwich walk where Raoul lived and Raoul died fighting the assailants in europe a french jesuit such as he would have worked among diplomats and at the luxurious courts of kings in america he worked among savages under the hard conditions of frontier life the methods and the aims in both cases were the same by subtle and secret influence so to mould the actions of men that france should be exalted in power in their high politics the french sometimes overreached themselves to seize points of vantage to intrigue for influence are not in themselves creative they must be supported by such practical efforts as will assure an economic reserve adequate in the hour of testing france failed partly because she did not know how to lay sound industrial foundations which should give substance to the brilliant planning of her leaders 
to french influence of this kind the english opposed forces that were the outcome of their national character and institutions they were keener traders than the french and had cheaper and better goods with the exception perhaps of french gunpowder and of french brandy which the indians preferred to english rum though the english were less alert and less brilliant than the french the work that they did was more enduring their settlements encroached ever more and more upon the forest they found until the good lands traded and saved and gradually built up populous communities the british colonies had twenty times the population of canada the tide of their power crept in slowly but it moved with the relentless force that has subsequently made nearly the whole of north america english in speech and modes of thought when in seventeen forty four open war between the two nations came at last in europe each prepared to spring at the other in america and france sprang first in nova scotia on the narrow strait which separates the mainland from the island of cape breton the british had a weak little fishing settlement called canso suddenly in may seventeen forty four when the british at canso had heard nothing of war two armed vessels from louisbourg with six or seven hundred soldiers and sailors appeared before the poor little place and demanded its surrender to this the eighty british defenders agreed on the condition that they should be sent to boston which as yet had not heard of the war meanwhile they were taken to louisbourg where they kept their eyes open but the french continued in their offensive the one vital place held by the british in nova scotia was annapolis at that time so neglected that the sandy ramparts had crumbled into the ditch supposed to protect them and cows from the neighboring fields walked up the slope and looked down into the fort it was du vivier the captor of canso who attacked annapolis he had hoped much for help from the indians and the acadians but though both seemed eager both failed him in action paul Masserine, who defended annapolis was of huguenot blood which stimulated him to fight the better against the catholic french boston sent him help for that little capital was deeply moved and so annapolis did not fall though it was harassed during the whole summer of seventeen forty four and new england in a fever at the new perils of war prepared a mighty stroke against the french this expedition was to undertake nothing less than the capture of louisbourg itself the colonial troops had been so often reminded of their inferiority to regular troops as fighting forces that with provincial docility they had almost come to accept the estimate it was well enough for them to fight irregular french and indian bands but to attack a fortress defended by a french garrison was something that only a few bold spirits among them could imagine such a spirit however was william vaughan a main trader deeply involved in the fishing industry and confronted with ruin from hostile louisbourg surely the governor of massachusetts a man of eager ambition took up the proposal and worked out an elaborate plan the prisoners who had been captured at canso by the french and interned at louisbourg now arrived at boston and told of bad conditions in the fortress in january seventeen forty five shirley called a session of the general court the little parliament of massachusetts and having taken the unusual step of pledging the members to secrecy he unfolded his plan but it proved too bold for the prudent legislators and they voted it down meanwhile new england trade was suffering from ships which used louisbourg as a base at length public opinion was aroused and when shirley again called the general court a bare majority endorsed his plan soon thereafter new england was aflame appeals for help were sent to england and it is said even to jamaica 
surely counted on aid from a british squadron under commodore peter warren in american waters but at first warren had no instructions to help such a plan this disappointment did not keep new england from going on alone in the end warren received instructions to give the necessary substantial aid and he established a strict blockade which played a vital part in the siege of the french fortress in this hour of deadly peril louisbourg was in not quite happy case some of the french officers who would otherwise have starved on their low pay were taking part in illicit trade and were neglecting their duties just after christmas in seventeen forty four there had been a mutiny over a petty question of butter and bacon here as in all french colonies there were cliques with the suspicions and bitterness which they involved the governor du chambon though brave enough was a man of poor judgment in a position that required both tact and talent the english did not make the mistake of delaying their preparations they were indeed so prompt that they arrived at cannes so early in april and had to wait for the ice to break up in cabaru bay near louisbourg where they intended to land here on april thirtieth the great fleet appeared a watcher in louisbourg counted ninety-six ships standing off shore with little opposition from the french the amazing army landed at freshwater cove then began an astonishing siege the commander of the new england forces william pepperell was a maine trader who dealt in a little of everything fish groceries lumber ships land though innocent of military science he was firm and tactful a british officer with strict military ideas could not perhaps have led that strange army with success pepperell knew that he had good fighting material he knew too how to handle it in his army of some four thousand men there was probably not one officer with a regular training few of his force had proper equipment but nearly all his men were handy on a ship as well as on land in louisbourg were about two thousand defenders of whom only five or six hundred were french regulars these professional soldiers watched with contempt not untouched with apprehension the breaches of military precedent in the operations of the besiegers men harnessed like horses dragged guns through morasses into position exposed themselves recklessly and showed the skill initiative and resolution which we have now come to consider the dominant qualities of the yankee in time warren arrived with a british squadron and then the french were puzzled anew they could not understand the relations between the fleet and the army which seemed to them to belong to different nations the new englanders appeared to be under a governor who was something like an independent monarch he had drawn up elaborate plans for his army comical in their apparent disregard of the realities of war naming the hour when the force should land unobserved before louisbourg instructing pepperell to surprise that place while every one was asleep and so on kindly providence was expected even to give continuous good weather the english appear to have enlisted heaven in their interests said a despairing resident of the town so long as the expedition lasted they had the most beautiful weather in the world there were no storms the winds were favourable fog so common on the, that coast did not creep in and the sky was clear among the french the opinion prevailed that the english colonists were ferocious pirates plotting eternally to destroy the power of france their liberty however it was well understood had made them strong and now they quickly became formidable soldiers their shooting bad at first was in the end superb sometimes in their excess of zeal they overcharged their cannon so that the guns burst but they managed to hit practically every house in louisbourg and since most of the houses were of wood there was constant danger of fire some of the french fought well even children of ten and twelve helped to carry ammunition 
the governor du chambon tried to keep up the spirits of the garrison by absurd exaggeration of british losses he was relying much on help from france but only a single ship reached port on may nineteenth seventeen forty five the besieged saw approaching louisbourg a great french ship of war the vigilant long looked for carrying sixty-four guns and five hundred and sixty men a northwest wind was blowing which would have brought her quickly into the harbor the british fleet was two and a half leagues away to leeward the great ship thinking herself secure did not even stop to communicate with louisbourg but wantonly gave chase to a small british privateer which he encountered near the shore by skilful manoeuvring the smaller ship led the french frigate out to sea again and then the british squadron came up from five o'clock to ten in the evening anxious men in louisbourg watched the fight and saw at last the vigilant surrender after losing eighty men this disaster broke the spirit of the defenders who were already short of ammunition when they knew that the british were preparing for a combined assault by land and sea they made terms and surrendered on the seventeenth of june after the siege had lasted for seven weeks the garrison marched out with the honors of war to be transported to france together with such of the civilian population as wished to go the british squadron then sailed into the harbor Paparel's strange army ragged and war-worn after the long siege entered the town by the south gate they had fought as crusaders for to many of them catholic louisbourg was a stronghold of satan whitfield the great english evangelist then in new england had given them a motto nil desperandum christo duce there is a story that one of the english chaplains old parson moody a man of about seventy had brought with him from boston an axe and was soon found using it to hew down the altar and images in the church at louisbourg if the story is true it does something to explain the belief of the french in the savagery of their opponents who would so treat things which their enemies held to be most sacred the french had met this fanaticism with a savagery equally intense and directed not against things but against the flesh of men an inhabitant of louisbourg during the siege describes the dauntless bravery of the indian allies of the french during the siege full of hatred for the english whose ferocity they abhor they destroy all upon whom they can lay hands he does not have even a word of censure for the savages who tortured and killed in cold blood a party of some twenty english who had been induced to surrender on promise of life the french declared that not they but the savages were responsible for such barbarities and the english retorted that the french must control their allies feeling on such things was naturally bitter on both sides and did much to decide that the war between the two nations should be to the death the fall of louisbourg brought great exultation to the english colonies it was a unique event the first prolonged and successful siege that had as yet taken place north of mexico an odd chance of war had decreed that untrained soldiers should win a success so prodigious new england it is true had incurred a heavy expenditure and her men having done so much naturally imagined that they had done everything and talked as if the siege was wholly their triumph they were of course greatly aided by the fleet under warren and the achievement was a joint triumph of army and navy new england alone however had the credit of conceiving and of arousing others to carry out a brilliant exploit victory inspires to further victory the british exultant after louisbourg were resolved to make an end of french power in america the landa as canada cried governor shirley to the general court of massachusetts and the response of the members was the voting of men and money on a scale that involved the bankruptcy of the commonwealth 
other colonies too were eager for a cause which had won a success so dazzling and some eight thousand men were promised for an attack on canada proud and valiant massachusetts contributing nearly one-half of the total number the old plan was to be followed new york was to lead in an attack by way of lake champlain new england was to collect its forces at louisbourg here a british fleet should come carrying eight battalions of british regulars and with warren in command the whole armada should proceed to quebec nothing came of this elaborate scheme neither the promised troops nor the fleet arrived from england british ministers broke faith with the colonists in the adventure with quite too light a heart stories went abroad of disorder and dissension in louisbourg under the english and of the weakness of the place disease broke out hundreds of new england soldiers died and their bones now lie in graves unmarked and forgotten on the seashore by the deserted fortress at almost any time still their bones washed down by the waves may be picked up on the beach there were sullen mutterings of discontent at louisbourg soldiers grumbled over grievances which were sometimes fantastic rumour had been persistent in creating a legend that vast wealth the accumulated plunder brought in by french privateers was stored in the town from this source a rich reward in booty was expected by the soldiers in fact when louisbourg was taken all looting was forbidden and the soldiers were put on guard over houses which they had hoped to rob for the soldiers there were no prizes louisbourg was poor the sailors on the other hand were fortunate as a decoy warren kept the french flag flying over the harbour and french ships sailed in one of them with a vast treasure of gold and silver coin and ingots from peru valued at six hundred thousand pounds one other prize was valued at two hundred thousand pounds and a third at one hundred and forty thousand pounds warren's own share of prize money amounted to sixty thousand pounds while paperol the unrewarded leader of the sister service piled up a personal debt of ten thousand pounds quarrels occurred between soldiers and sailors and in these the new englanders soon proved by no means the cowards which complacent superiority in england considered them rather as an enlightened briton said if they had pickaxe and spade they would dig away to hell itself and storm that stronghold behind all difficulties was the question whether having taken louisbourg the british could continue to hold it france answered with a resolute no to retake it she fitted out a great fleet nearly half her navy gathered under the duc d'anville and put to sea on june twenty seventeen forty six if in the previous summer god had helped the english with good weather by a similar proof his face now appeared turned a second time against the french in the great array there were more than sixty ships which were together at chibucto now halifax harbour and to be joined there by four great ships of war from the west indies everything went wrong on the voyage across the atlantic there was a prolonged calm followed by a heavy squall several ships were struck by lightning a magazine on the mars blew up killing ten and wounding twenty-one men pestilence broke out as a crowning misfortune the fleet was scattered by a terrific storm after great delay d'anville's ship reached chibucto then a wild and lonely spot the expected fleet from the west indies had indeed come but had gone since the ships from france long overdue had not arrived d'anville died suddenly some said of apoplexy others of poison self-administered more ships arrived full of sick men and short of provisions du Stournel, who succeeded d'anville in chief command in despair at the outlook killed himself with his own sword after the experience of only a day or two in his post la jonquiere a competent officer afterwards governor of canada then led the expedition 
the pestilence still raged and from two to three thousand men died one day a boston sloop boldly entered chibucto harbor to find out what was going on it is a wonder that the british did not descend upon the stricken french and destroy them in october la jonquiere having pulled his force together planned to win the small success of taking annapolis but again storms scattered his ships at the end of october he finally decided to return to france but there were more heavy storms and one french crew was so near starvation that only a chance meeting with a portuguese ship kept them from killing and eating five english prisoners only a battered remnant of the fleet eventually reached home ports the disaster did not crush france in may of the next spring seventeen forty seven a new fleet under la jonquiere set out to retake louisbourg near the coast of europe however admirals anson and warren met and completely destroyed it taking prisoner la jonquiere himself this disaster effected what was really the most important result of the war it made the british fleet definitely superior to the french during the struggle england had produced a new drake who attacked spain in the spirit of the sea-dogs of elizabeth anson had gone in seventeen forty into the pacific where he seized and plundered spanish ships as drake had done nearly two centuries earlier and in seventeen forty four when he had been given up for lost he completed the great exploit of sailing round the world and bringing home rich booty such feats went far to give britain that command of the sea on which her colonial empire was to depend the issue of the war hung more on events that occurred in europe than in america and france had made gains as well as suffered losses it was on the sea that she had sustained her chief defeats in india she had gained by taking the english factory at madras and in the low countries she was still aggressive indeed during the war england had been more hostile to spain than to france she had not taken very seriously her support of the colonies in their attack on louisbourg and she had failed them utterly in their designs on canada it is true that in europe england had grave problems to solve austria with which she was allied desired her to fight until frederick of prussia should give up the province of silesia seized by him in seventeen forty in this quarrel england had no vital interest france had occupied the austrian netherlands and had refused to hand back to austria this territory unless she received cape breton in return britain might have kept cape breton if she would have allowed france to keep belgium this in loyalty to austria she would not do accordingly peace was made at aix-la-chapelle in seventeen forty eight on the agreement that each side should restore to the other its conquests not merely in europe but also in america and asia thus it happened that the british flag went up again at madras while it came down at louisbourg boston was of course angry at the terms of the treaty what sacrifices had massachusetts not made the least of them was the great burden of debt which she had piled up her sons had borne what pepperell called almost incredible hardships they had landed cannon on a lee shore when the great waves pounded to pieces their boats and when men wading breast high were crushed by the weight of iron harnessed two and three hundred to a gun they had dragged the pieces one after the other over rocks and through bog and slime and had then served them in the open under the fire of the enemy new englanders had died like rotten sheep in louisbourg the graves of nearly a thousand of them lay on the bleak point outside the wall what they had gained by this sacrifice must now be abandoned a spirit of discontent with the mother country went abroad and after this sacrifice of colonial interests never wholly died out it is not without interest to note in passing that gridley the engineer who drew the plan of the defences of louisbourg thirty years later drew those of bunker hill to protect men of the english race who fought against england 
every one knew that the peace of seventeen forty eight was only a truce and britain began promptly new defences into the spacious harbour of chibucto which three years earlier had been the scene of the sorrows of d'anville's fleet there sailed in june seventeen forty nine a considerable british squadron bent on a momentous errand it carried some thousands of settlers edward cornwallis a governor clothed with adequate authority and a force sufficient for the defence of the new foundation cornwallis was delighted with the prospect all the officers agreed the harbour is the finest they had ever seen this of halifax harbour with the great bedford basin opening beyond it spacious enough to contain the fleets of the world the country is one continuous wood no clear spot to be seen or heard of d'anville's fleet cleared no ground they encamped their men on the beach the garrison was withdrawn from louisbourg and soon arrived at halifax with a vast quantity of stores a town was marked out lots were drawn for sites and every one knew where he might build his house there were prodigious digging chopping hammering i shall be able to get them all houses before winter wrote cornwallis cheerily firm military discipline indeed did wonders before winter came a town had been created and with the town a fortress which from that time has remained the chief naval and military stronghold of great britain in north america at louisbourg some two hundred miles farther east on the coast france could re-establish her military strength but now louisbourg had a rival and each was resolved to yield nothing to the other the founding of halifax was in truth a symbol of the renewal of the struggle for a continent End of chapter four